0: Hey y'all, I'm Taryn Finley, a senior culture reporter at HuffPost, and this is I Know That's Right, a weekly podcast about the latest in culture, entertainment, and trending conversations. Get ready, because we're going to a place where mainstream news and the wild west of internet culture collide. From the news that makes us say I Know That's Right, to the mess that you know is dead wrong. I'm looking at you, Jonathan Majors. I'm breaking down the week that was, and we've got so much to talk about. Let's get into it. Then, as always, I'll be bringing in a guest for an in-depth conversation. And this week, I'll be talking all about the RICO trial against Young Thug and YSL with journalist Jewel Wicker. This is I Know That's Right.
1: I Know That's Right.
0: Ooh, we are here again. Y'all have been rocking with me and I appreciate it. Y'all already know that it's time to get down to business and stand on it. First off, this week's I Know That's Right. Goes to Cardi B, yet again. After announcing that the girl is single, okay. The Bronx rapper announced the news on Instagram Live on Monday morning, saying that she's been single for a minute now. Take a listen. I,
1: I've been single for a minute now, but I have been afraid to like. I'm not afraid. I just don't know how like to tell the world. But i feel like today has been like a sign like i've been the last time i got on live i kind of wanted you guys to tell you i kind of wanted to tell you guys but i didn't know how to tell you so i was like i changed my mind but it has been
0: like this for time. weeks new rumors of offset cheating have been circulating that's not a new thing y'all it's really not like i feel like this is very much the same old song with offset and cardi b's up and down relationship but like I said, this wasn't the first time that we heard about Offset not being faithful. I know y'all remember his infamous, y'all won IG caption the first time they split after his alleged cheating. Well, I guess we won again, y'all. I guess we won again.
1: Go to market. Go to market.
0: But really, I'm so tired of hearing about Offset's cheating allegations. I'm not even going to go into the details of what we've heard, what we haven't heard. It's ugly regardless. I can only imagine how Cardi feels. And in her most recent video, she said that she's looking forward to 2024 and that she's curious for a new life and new beginning. A lot of the girls, they're, they're fouling for divorce. They're separating. They're not letting y'all break they so. okay? They are free. Also, shout out to Kenya Moore of Kenya Moore Hair Care in Real Housewives of Atlanta fame. Because I see you, girl. You you finally you finally divorced that man. You you finally got that divorce finalized and you know, happy to see what's to come with you. But seriously, like with Cardi, I, I just am enjoying this tone of divorce not being, you know, this super dark, terrible thing that defines these women's value. Again, she didn't say that it was a divorce. She said that she's single. I can only assume that maybe it'll go in that direction, but time will tell. Is this future in 2024 is already starting off strong with her? I know y'all saw her tear down the stage at TikTok's In the Mix events. Cardi girl, I'm rooting for you. Okay, be free, fly. Me. Next up, the story I'm questioning is if these Golden Globe nominations are right or not. I don't know. I don't know, y'all. So they announced the nominees for the award show, which takes place on January 7th, 2024. And I'm seeing a few things that they got right. But I'm also seeing a few things that they got wrong and some surprises. First off, that's very unsurprising. Barbenheimer, of course, got a lot of love. With Greta Gerwig's Barbie getting nine nominations and Oppenheimer following with eight. I feel like we all kind of expected that. Good for y'all. You know, I'm, I'm not mad at that. The and Succession also got a lot of love as far as TV series go. No surprise there either. Great shows. Also have to shout out the nominees that are most exciting for me personally. Seeing A24's past lives get love for best motion picture in the drama category was so great and so well-deserved. Oh, my God. I I don't know if y'all have seen it yet, but please go run and watch it if you haven't. This film may have not gotten the big fanfare marketing that a lot of other films on the slate got this year, but it was so beautifully done and I couldn't help but to shed a few tears a few times, just uh, an amazing, one of the best love stories that I watched on screen this year. And if you didn't know, this is a Greta Lee Stan account. Okay. She killed her role in this, but she also got love in the best performance category category. You go, Glenn Coco. And I also have to give a shout out to Court Jefferson's American Fiction. That was another film highlight for me this year. It got a nod for a best motion picture in the comedy category. And y'all, it was literally so smart, so well done. And it tackled race and stereotypes and the commodification of how we even talk about race and sell content about race in and, and such a thoughtful also funny way of course you have Jeffrey Wright who's also nominated for best actor tens across the board nominated for best actor you have Tracy Ellis Ross, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown. The list goes on and on and to me. Again, it was such a smart way to tackle how we talk about blackness. And, you know, also kind of meta. I was also happy to see that Coman Domingo got a Best Performance nomination for Rustin. Vantasia Barino and Danielle Brooks got love for their performances in The Color Purple. And then, of course, My Girls, Quinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary and a Adebri for The Bear. They both were nominated for Best Actress in a TV Comedy Series. And, you know, some some other faves, some other faves. The Bear, Ted Lasso, again, Abbott Elementary. These are things. These are shows that I was just really happy to see get their love now. Enough of the positivity. Let's talk about the snubs, okay? Because there were plenty. The Color Purple got no love in Best Comedy or Musical, which was really surprising to me. And I'm going to be very honest. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it tomorrow night. But considering how much rich material that they had to draw on with not only the book, the movie, but also the Broadway, this new adaptation has really already gotten so much critical acclaim. So I was really surprised to not see it in Best Picture for a comedy or musical. I'm really curious to see if this snub was warranted after watching again. Like, I'm not gonna blindly support shit. I mean, I am rooted for everybody black. Don't get that wrong. But I do wanna watch and see because I really feel like the Golden Globes got this wrong, but in my heart of hearts, my gut is telling me that the color purple should have gotten nominated, and that Blitz should have got nominated for a best director. But we will see, child. We will see. I'll update y'all on that maybe next week. What I did see, however, was Swarm, and though I I have some mixed feelings about the series itself. It's a crime that Dominique Fishback's performance specifically was overlooked here. She brought it like seriously. She portrays a crazed stalker fan who idolizes this Beyonce like artist and it just goes off the deep end. And she really is one of the first portrayals in scripted television that I've personally seen of a black woman being a serial killer. It felt like such a stellar and viscerally haunting performance. I'm just really gagged that the Golden Globes just overlooked. Like I I can't forgive y'all for that. And then finally, this one really it really just hits home because y'all did this twice in a year Golden Globes. Y'all going to stop playing on oh my good auntie, Viola Davis. Stop playing in her face. She's an egot for Christ's sake. And her portrayal of Michael Jordan's mother in air was the best damn thing about that movie. Y'all showed that movie so much love. The film itself got nods. Co star Matt Damon got nominated, but she didn't. And I want y'all to make it make sense because that it just it doesn't sound right at all.
1: That's suspicious.
0: Y'all are doing that this year and y'all did that last year when you snubbed her for The Woman King, which I don't even get me started on that because y'all, y'all going to pay. Now, there were no black directors nominated, no noms for America Ferreira, even though Barbie got so much love, which was so odd to me and no love for Reservoir Dogs, which is such a beautiful depiction of. Indigenous representation on TV, which we are starved of. After coming under scrutiny for lack of diversity, the Golden Globes now has apparently the most culturally diverse voting body of the major awards. But some of these areas that I'm seeing looking at these nominations are, it feels like more of the same. The Globes got a few things right with these nominations, but I just can't overlook what they missed. Let's hope this isn't indicative of what's to come this award season, but child, I I'm not going to hold my breath, okay? And finally, the dead wrong of the week goes to Jonathan Majors. Yes, you sir. Before I get too deep into this, of course, I have to give a trigger warning for domestic violence in the story. We'll put a timestamp to skip ahead in the description. Let's get into it. Uh, there are so many things that I could say, but I'm, I'm going to just like dive into this, this very one thing. So first to brief you in case you didn't know, the actor is currently on trial facing multiple counts of misdemeanor assault and harassment. You might remember back in March, he was arrested. After an altercation with his ex-girlfriend, Grace Jabari, Jabari alleges that Majors was abusive and Majors filed a cross complaint accusing Jabari of being the aggressor. This is such an ugly trial. It's ongoing. I don't want to get too in the weeds about the details because frankly, it sounds like this whole relationship, which is very toxic overall and dangerous. And if you want my professional opinion, because Loki, I'm the love doctor. <laughs> Not really, but you know, you know, I, I could give some good advice. I could give some good advice. But y'all should have been broke up before this point. Like it it should never get to a point of any type of abuse, emotional, physical, what have you. Violence is never the answer, and it will always be a hell no in my book. But there's one thing specifically they have to point out that's so bizarre. So In opening statements early December, the prosecutors said that majors allegedly told Jabari that he's, quote, a great man and that she needs to be more like Coretta Scott King or Michelle Obama by making sacrifices for him. (sighs) John, I want you to come here. Come, 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 come here. If this is true, you know I got to drag you, right? You know, I got to drag you. First off, you got some black ass nerve telling this white woman that she needs to be the Coretta to your Martin. Like, be so fucking for real. Not only is it wild for you to say that and draw that comparison between Jabari and these literal political icons, but also that would mean that you're comparing yourself to MLK and Barack Obama, which is insanely weird and egotistical and it it just sounds like some shit a narcissist would do how dare you think of yourself in that light and utter those words I know that you play a martyr in Lovecraft Country but sir you are not Atticus Freeman in real life you're an actor bruh an actor and your talent and whatever rising star you had before all of this shit happened didn't warn you to demand control over a partner or anyone else like humble yourself and get some therapy I'm really I'm really just tired of the culture of abuse that we're seeing play out not only among these stars but also in general amongst just society and i'm i'm not i'm not even going to get on that tangent today i'm not going to get on that tangent today because we talked about it in the last episode with morgan go back and listen to what i had to say if you want to hear more about that but like i said please get some therapy and and stop hurting people that really is the the crux of this i really don't know How Megan Good, who is not only an actor in her own right, but also his girlfriend. I don't know how she's stomaching sitting through this trial. There are some really ugly details coming out. And unfortunately, it's putting her own reputation on the line by being in proximity to him. I I guess that's the kind of sacrifice that Majors is looking for. So you got it. All I know is... You did ass fucking wrong for that shit. Like, Coretta Scott King, Michelle Obama, get a fucking grip. Ugh Huh. Anywho, that's it for the headlines this week. I want to hear what y'all have to say about these stories. So you already know where to find me. Hit me up on socials at underscore tearing it up. Let's continue the conversation over there. And remember, keep it real cute i want to know what y'all think about these golden globe nominations let, let me know who is there anyone y'all think should be nominated anybody who got snubs any any thing that you want to see they still ain't got a host y'all so i i don't even know what they about to do about that but let me know predictions who should host all of that hit me up at underscore tearing it up Next up, I'll be bringing in Atlanta-based journalist Jewel Wicker to break down what all you need to know about the ongoing trial against Young Thug and YSL. Stay tuned because more I Know That's Right is coming at you.
1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at
0: UH1.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Days after Jewel and I recorded this conversation, Shannon Steelwell, aka SB, who's one of six YSL defendants on trial, was stabbed in jail. Because of this, court is now in recess until January 2nd. Now let's dive into the conversation with Jewel. Young Thug was on the road before his 2022 arrest. Him and his YSL group were thriving. Thug himself had three number one albums under his belt and his signee Gunna had just come off of a fresh number one. The YSL compilation album Slime Language 2 had just come out a year prior and everyone, including Saturday Night Live viewers, were singing Pushin' P. So, of course, it was a shock to the hip-hop community Atlanta rap, specifically, when Thug was arrested in a police raid a year and a half ago. Him and 27 others were hit with racketeering and gang conspiracy charges. The current case centers on the killing of Donovan Thomas, who was fatally shot in a drive-by in 2015. Prosecution is connecting his killing along with a string of violence that followed to Young Thug and his YSL group. Thug is facing eight counts, which include conspiring to violate Georgia's RICO Act, participating in street gang activity, along with drug and gun charges. He's pled not guilty to all counts, and the trial began in November and is expected to last a better part of a year. But it's already been one hell of a journey. Joining me to break down the many layers and implications of this trial is an award-winning Atlanta-based reporter who's been covering this trial so closely and so thoughtfully, Jewel Wicker. Thank you so much for joining me, Jewel.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course, of course. First, like I want folks to understand the weight of you and your voice oh, so in Atlanta because you've been doing this, but also... It's your hometown. Where are you from?
1: I am from Atlanta. I grew up in Southwest Atlanta. Um, My high school's claim to fame is that Cam Newton went there. He was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, So I am homegrown from here my family has been in the city for over 100 years and have been in Georgia since we were enslaved so I mean very deeply rooted in the city and in the state and I've been reporting here for the better part of uh, a little over a decade right since I graduated college I spent about a year and a half away and then came right back worked at the local newspaper the Atlanta Journal Constitution and I've been freelancing for a number of local and national publications for almost seven years now so uh, this, this is home but it's also where I work
0: and have been- been doing such a a thorough job I want to talk about this case because a lot has been going on so far to say the least right I mean even down to when the raid first happened and the charges were first brought down Rico became such a buzzword but I also want to make sure that everyone understands what that actually means so I want to break that down with you or I want you to break that down for us why did the prosecution decide to charge Young Thug and his YSL affiliates with a RICO. I mean, this is the same RICO act that Trump, has been charged with.
1: So I think the thing to know about Georgia's uh, RICO uh, statute is that it's uh, a broader version of what we know on the federal level, right? And so it's broad intentionally so that you can bring cases against Trump and company, but also against like someone like uh, Young Thug and, and YSL. The reason that prosecutors love using RICO is because it allows them to paint this narrative and to kind of weave in all of these acts and alleged crimes that they otherwise might have have a hard time kind of proving on an individual uh, basis, right? So you have these 28 guys, you're saying that they did everything from, uh, you know, sell drugs and, you know, possession of firearms, to armed robbery, to murder, right? And in order to kind of prove this long thread of varied cases amongst this large group of people, some of which have murder charges, but some of which only really have kind of the RICO gang affiliation um, charge. It's really better to weave them together with with RICO um, because prosecutors believe that that will paint a be- better narrative and kind of linear story for jurors.
0: And this starts with the killing of Donovan Thomas. Can you sum up for listeners how prosecutors decided that that would be the act and how they're tying his killing to Thug. You know,
1: it actually, it, it's interesting. It goes back a little before then. They've been investigating Thug and his affiliates for more than a decade, which when you think about Thug's career is the length of his career. Right. When Stoner and Lifestyle and, and all of these songs came out, he was on at atlanta police department's radar at that time um and so they really start uh the first witness that we got in this case uh really started out by talking about kind of the formation of ysl and that dates all the way back to like 2012 right it was a it was another gang that kind of splintered off and ysl kind of came up from that that kind of riff but donovan thomas's murder which in which occurred in 2015 is really one of the like larger um, kind of parts of the case, right? Because what uh, prosecutors are alleging is that Thug had some sort of riff with Donovan Thomas, who was, you know, as they say, a rival gang member. And uh, from that riff, he rented a car um, that was then used to kill uh, Thomas in a drive-by outside of a a barbershop. And so it really goes to their idea that, you know, we're not saying Thug pulled the trigger. We're not saying that he was the one that committed the drive-by, but these people, he's his affiliates, committed this crime, committed this murder because he wanted them to because he told them they needed to. And not only that, but he rented a car for them to do so. He gave them money after, and this is all, you know, what the prosecution is alleging, that he gave them money after, you know, a few hours after after they committed the murder to go and lay low in Miami, right? So he might not have committed the crime itself, but that he was very much
0: involved in the crime. So much, like you said, happened before this trial even started last month, right? I mean, there was conversation of... From the time that Thug was arrested to the start of the trial, I mean, there were conversation on whether or not Thug's lyrics would be used in court. And we know that, you know, that potentially will happen over the, the case of these, these next few months. Also, at one point, you know, there's a clip of the judge going off and, you know, being tired that so many witnesses are being added Last minute. And then, of course, there was the infamous pill exchange that we saw between Thug and someone else in court that really blew my mind and and so many others. Can you walk us along some of the challenges that both prosecution and defense have faced ahead of day one of this trial?
1: Yeah, I think it is very difficult to try to try 28 people in one case that's a very large case right and so in these rico cases, cases it really behooves prosecutors to try to get some people to plea out right and they have we're down to six several people have pled several people have been severed from the case meaning they'll be tried separately for a number of reasons um, but six is a much more manageable number than 28 but six is also not a small number right you still have six co-defendants they're legal teams there's a lot of people involved right and so i think one of the things is just the, the the broadness of the case, right? This 56 count indictment, several, several, I, I want to say it's 191 over acts, uh, close to 200 for sure, uh, over acts. And those aren't crimes, but they're like alleged acts, right? That kind of uh, prosecutors say tie into this conspiracy. It's a massive case. With that, you have to now get a jury of, of these guys' peers to say, yes, I will sit down for six plus months to hear all of this out and when you get when you go to potential jurors and say that they're like uh sorry i don't want to do that i'm not going to get paid for this or you know i think they get paid 25 dollars a day right but my job is not going to pay me to sit out for six months to sit on jury duty so i'm going to miss out on income i have a daughter or a son or a small child who i have to take to school every day so i can't do this or i have an elderly parent that i'm caring for right people have lives and so it took from January until about mid-November for the judge to even seat a jury in this case, because so many people were called to be potential jurors and so many of them were like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, and so that was a big that's a big um hurdle that that uh, the state and defense attorneys had to go through was uh, this trial started with opening statements in November, but it technically started when the jury selection started, which was in January. So we're almost a year into this trial already and we're only two weeks into uh, opening statements and testimony. Right. That is a long time with, you know, potentially six plus months to go. Um, In addition to that, there's been a lot of security um concerned. And so the state and the sheriff's department feel like there have been like the pill exchange that you saw or um they feel that there's been contraband, quote unquote, snuck into the courtroom to defendants. And so they've really kind of hunkered down on on beefing up security. So I don't know if you've ever been into a courtroom, but usually when you go into a courthouse you go through the metal detectors, you send your bag through the um Same thing that you go through when you go to TSA almost. Right. Um, And then you walk freely to the courtroom. Well, for this case, in addition to doing that, when you get to the courtroom itself, you have to get a wristband to be allowed entry, but you also have to get your bag searched a second time. Right. There was an attorney on the case. His case was uh, eventually severed after this, but he was actually arrested because he had some of his, uh, he says it was his pills. It just wasn't in their prescribed bottle. And when, um, when the sheriff's team went through his his bag that second time, they said he was trying to sneak in contraband and they arrested him. Right. So a a number of high profile really kind of strange and uncomfortable um, instances have occurred in this case. One of the um, members of the sheriff's uh, department was caught having an affair with one of the defendants and um, that came out. It it was just a lot of weird stuff that in addition to the length of this thing have just led to a lot of um, headlines and debate online about, about how this case is being conducted.
0: It's really bizarre and, you know, it's hard for, you know, us as you know people who are just following along with this trial to even follow along so I can only imagine how it is for you know the people who are in the courtroom the people who are reporting day to day on this trial I mean opening statements were just beyond me and most notably though it took a long time to get through opening statements, first and foremost, but most notably, you know, folks were giving props to Young Thug's defense lawyer, Brian Steele, for his, I'll say, creative way of <laughs> of laying things out. And, you know, I know that they have a, a large, a large task at hand by, you know, trying to disprove these nearly 200 over acts, but... I can't help but to laugh when, you know, when he said that thug was an acronym for truly humbled under God and that the P and pushing P stood for pushing positivity. And it's interesting to say the least, like how effective do you think defensive has been so far? And do you think that like these ways of kind of getting flexible with semantics, for an Atlanta jury, like, do you like, do you think that will be enough to sway an Atlanta jury?
1: Well, I think that's the thing you got to keep in mind, right? Because I think we might look at it and be like, OK, play with somebody else, please. This <laughs> right. But th- we're not the jury. So, like, you know, I do think that a part of this case is because it is being streamed and Young Thug is a public fi- figure is playing it up to uh, the public because you want to make sure that, you know, in the event that Thug is released and and not convicted that he gets to come out and have his reputation intact, right? So I'm not saying that attorneys don't keep that in mind, but they're playing to the jury, right? The jury is the ones that are going to decide uh, the fate of these guys. And there are a lot of older black ladies on that jury. And I do wonder if Truly Humbled Under God as an acronym for Thug lands. I can't say. I am not them. I don't know. But that is a very valid question. They might not be familiar with Young Thug and his music, right? They might not. No Push and P. So Push and P might stand for positivity for all they know. But I also think it's fair to wonder what their preconceived notions are about rap music. Cleveland Avenue in the neighborhood where Young Thug grew up, right? They live here. They, they you know, they are familiar with the area and the reputations of people, places, things here. And so I think those are the questions. And I think they're very valid questions because I think you're right. Um, I know a lot of people might hear Truly Humbled Under God and go, hmm. Interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the jury because, you know, there was a point where we saw the jury. The camera accidentally was pointed to them at one point. Um, it just feels like there's a lot going on, not only in the jur- juror side, but also we saw a clip of District Attorney uh, Fani Willis Basically stating that the jury won't hear evidence that Thug is innocent, which is burden shifting. People are saying that any of these things could lead to a mistrial. But like, what are the odds of calling that so early on?
1: So that was actually um, district attorney. Her name is... uh, Adrian Love, Adrian was Love, leading Thank this. You. Yep, it was Adrian Love. You're welcome. But so uh, part of this is the reason why we have alternates, right? So because the reason that there are alternates on a on a jury is because somebody might go to the hospital and might have to get dismissed, right? And so that is the benefit of having alternates in a case. It is never a good thing, obviously, when you have a viral moment like the one that we had last week with the jury. That's not ideal, um but it's also not an immediately immediate uh, kind of. Mistrial situation. Um, from from what the judge has said, is is that unless. Jurors come to him and say someone reached out to me because they saw this or, you know, I'm in fear for my life or I have a reason to to be concerned that he is going to soldier on and continue on. And he has said that, you know, there was a a small exchange a few days ago about where prosecutors kind of brought it up again and they really had that concern. And the judge said, I'm not going to bring this up to them. I'm not going to weird them out. If they come to me with it, then we will address it then. But if not, we are going to move on. And, you know, from from the legal experts um, that i have spoken with, that seems to be the, the, the way to go about things right now, if at any point. One of the jurors comes to him and does say someone contacted me or, I you know, I have this concern. Then that becomes another ballpark. And then we got to really kind of figure out, you know, what happens from there. Again, there are alternates. So it's not necessarily an immediately a, immediate mistrial. Um, but that's something to consider, especially for a case that is, you know, as as long as this one is supposed to be.
0: It is difficult to though. Rico's are expansive. It's, it's difficult to. To prove one, to, to, to be very honest, that was something that came up while I was covering the federal trial of um, R. Kelly here in Brooklyn. And that was a big discussion among journalists in the room of like, it will be hard to try this as, as a RICO. But I definitely see and understand why prosecution not only in Georgia but in, in other places have been, you know, coming at certain things, at certain cases as Rico's and, and like you said, in this indictment list is over two hundred over acts of conspiracy. To my understanding, under Georgia state law, you only need to prove one in order for it to, to stick. What what does that mean for the defense team? I mean, we're we're so far away from, you know, when it's kind of their turn to call folks to the stand. But, but what does that mean for them at this point?
1: I think one of the things to remember is that Fonnie Willis is not new to RICO cases. Um, and so in 2014, which, again, I think that's like a key kind of year there, right? The kind of rises. We, we get kind of some of the initial um, kind of overacts and things that we start to see and um, charges that we start to see. Uh, but in 2014, Fonnie Willis was the lead prosecutor On a RICO case against uh, several, about a dozen educators here in Atlanta that were educators at the Atlanta Public School who um, she said had participated in kind of this uh, ring of cheating of a cheating scandal where they were changing the answers on standardized tests. She got convictions in all but one. And the one she didn't get a conviction on died. Wow. Trial concluded. Right. And she was the lead prosecutor there. It actually um, one of the defense attorneys in this case brought it up, kind of saying, you know, my my client was a victim of that of that, the you know, that scandal and all of these things. She is not new to trying RICO cases. Right. This is a tool that she likes and she likes it because she knows how to use it. And they have this um, RICO expert. His name is John Floyd, um, and he's worked with them on the Trump case as well. But he's really kind of the leading expert in RICO and specifically this Georgia uh, statute of RICO. Um, and he really works with uh, the district attorney's office to make sure that they are shaping, they're bringing cases and also shaping cases in a way that are RICO friendly and that would be um, successful. Yeah.
0: You mentioned that, you know. So many of the folks who were originally indicted ended up uh, taking plea deals, Gunna being one. Where does he and others, where do they come into play? Will we see them take the stand or are they exempt from doing that? That
1: remains to be seen. They're not exempt, right? But Gunna took an Alfred plea, which is a little different than just pleading guilty, right? It's saying that like, I acknowledge that the case that is being brought against me is not favorable to me and that prosecution, the prosecutors are likely to win. And I don't want to take that chance on my pass. Right. That is different than saying I did it guilty. I think his I think gun is a little different because of that. Right. And so I, I don't know that it is. It benefits prosecutors as much to put someone on the stand who took an Alfred plea versus putting someone on the stand who just pled guilty, right, and might be more useful, right? Also, Gunna's attorney, um, Steve Sadow, who is now Trump's attorney, it's very strange, has, has said that he would plead the fifth if he got on, on the stand. He doesn't want to testify. For the the people who pled guilty, it is a part of their plea that if asked to Testify and participate that they will. Um, So it remains to be seen if, if that'll if that'll be the case or not.
0: Talk about the debate that's been happening about the potential use of thugs lyrics in this trial. I mean, like that's not a new conversation, but, you know, still very much controversial. Why should people care about that?
1: Well, I think people should care because the big question is. What are the restrictions? What are the parameters around this? Right. So if there's a book that I recommend. It's called Rap on Trial. Um, and the, the one of the co-authors of the book is actually on Thug's um, witness list to testify um, about the ways that rap lyrics are used. Um In trial but not just as confessions but as like to say this is this was somebody's state of mind and right they they rapped about this so they're capable of doing this thing right in the ways in which this has been used in hundreds of cases um in a way that is potentially harmful right when we think about um Mac Phipps from New Orleans, who was signed to No Limit, and his lyrics were kind of spliced together and used um, to convict him, Uh, you know, that I think those are the reasons that people are concerned. And I think that's a fair concern to have. Of course, prosecutors say in this, and specifically speaking in case of Young Thug, that these lyrics are specific and um, speak to specific crimes that he committed, and that they should be used for that reason. The judge has admitted seventeen lyrics conditionally, and and said that you know he'll rule kind of as they come up on whether or not they're appropriate. But we've already seen them be used in this case. Um, I, the distinct one that I think about, several of them came up in opening arguments, but there was a a slide that prosecutors showed. There was a deceased Donovan Thomas on one side, and on the other side of the slide was the lyrics Hundred Rounds in a Tahoe, which um, came from a Young Thug song called Slime Shit. And prosecutors say, well, Donovan Thomas was killed in a drive-by next to his Chevy Tahoe that was r- riddled with bullets. This is relevant, right? Defense attorneys say, you don't know when he, you know when he released the song, but you don't know when he wrote that. You don't know... If he wrote that or if somebody else wrote it, um, there were not a hundred bullet holes in the Tahoe or, you know, if y'all counted or or what have you. And so, of course, they're poking holes in that theory. You know, they say Young Thug raps about a lot of cars. Y'all went and cherry picked and found him rapping about a Tahoe. And now y'all have brought it up because Donovan Times had a Tahoe. So a lot of back and forth there but i do think it's a really controversial thing to use lyrics in court and i think that people are right to be asking the questions that they're asking about it
0: yeah what's at stake for not only young thug but ysl
1: their lives for one you know whether or not they are able to have freedom i think fans are wondering are we going to get any music but before we can get music people got to have freedom right and so uh in addition to the the kind of success of this rapper who has been really influential on the sound of rap music over the past decade literally whether or not he is free or whether or not he is imprisoned for several many years um, is at stake in this trial
0: and in the grand scope of things what's at stake for music especially the atl rap scene
1: well yeah i think one we have to keep asking these questions about the use of lyrics in court right rap and rap in Atlanta as well has often been used by people who felt unheard in other scenarios to rap about their lives and not always the things that the things that they're doing are not always legal right but it's their true stories it's their experiences and so I do think it's a fair question to ask that if people feel that they can't rap about their lives in an autobiographical way without uh, facing the fear of an indictment, will they continue to, will rap continue to hold that authenticity and that kind of um, autobiographical lens that it has for so long and be that voice um, for tons of people who have felt they didn't have other outlets and other ways of making it out of really um, impoverished circumstances? So I think that's a fair question about Atlanta's scene in general. If prosecutors are successful Will that mean that a generation of rappers will be reticent about what they rap about, even if it's fictional, right? I don't want to rap about that because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want you saying I did something I didn't do. I think that's a very fair question, not just for Atlanta rap, but for rap as a whole.
0: To you, if there's anything, because I know that there are, uh, there's been a lot of, of course, bizarre happenings, a lot of sensationalization of this trial, but What do you think people should be paying attention to the most when it comes to this trial?
1: I think it's really difficult because of the length of this trial. Who has all day for six plus months to tune into this and figure out what's going on? And a lot of these things are going to be very procedural. And, I, you know, I'm an expert in bullets or I'm an expert in forensic chemistry and did, you know, people don't care. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think that that makes it a little dangerous because then there's a lot of room for people being uninformed and for misinformation to spread the advice that I've given people is to follow more than one reporter who is covering this and to follow a varied group of voices because not one person can be in that courthouse every day for six months. Just newsrooms don't have the resources. Sorry. And if you are following a a variety of voices, then you're more likely to get a full range of what's going on here um, and a full scope of what's going on here. I also try to remind people that Yes, we all love the young Thug. We love his music, whether or not he is convicted or found to be guilty of the things that he is um, accused of doing. Guilty or not, right? There are still people who have been harmed here, um, and I think this is a serious matter. And I, I don't want us to lose sight of the seriousness of this for the victims, for Thug and his co-defendants, because their lives are on the line. You know, it's serious, and so I, you know, I know it's fun to make the jokes about the memes and all of those stuff but this is also a very serious matter um the the image that i come back to time and time again is from the beginning of court so in january of 2022 i profiled gunna for gq magazine a part of me profiling him i spent some time with him a young thug and and we went i went to uh he his album had been announced as number one like the day before i interviewed him and so i went to his um he had a party to kind of celebrate that uh it was like this massive party. There was like steak with gold foiled and they were cutting it with like these samurai swords and there were sparklers and smoke bellowing out from the table, very dramatic and very like
0: very rapper you know yeah. what I'm saying
1: like very <laughs> the most rapper thing you could ever see, right and young thug is there, and it's kind of like you know this I just get this image of Gun and young thug kind of like. In the corner with their friends, they're all rapping on their phones, kind of like making Instagram stories and rapping along to the songs. And his mom is sitting there rapping along in her seat. And it's a joyous moment. Right. Gunna has got a number another number one. Pushing P has been on the lips of everybody and every corporation for weeks now. Right. It is a moment of success for them. And I think about that moment in January. And then I fast forward to that moment in May or just after May, because the indictment came down in May. When Gunna is on a screen, you know, trying to get Bond and his mom is in court and his bond is denied and his mom is the woman who I saw rapping along and enjoy joy is is crying. You know what I mean? This is real. This is serious. And I think it really highlighted for me. Uh, the quickness of how things have changed, how, you know, their lives changed, uh, you know, from flying on private jets and performing at Saturday Night Live and doing a lot of these things to being locked up. And Gunner was locked up for, you know, several months. Young Thug has been locked up for a year and a half. It is a jarring thing to see uh, some of the top kind of entertainers behind bars this way.
0: And, you know, like you said, this is such heavy subject matter. I'm wondering... What that experience has been like for you covering the trial have you like had any surprise moments or learnings that you know you're you're processing
1: i think the thing that i'm still processing but that is really difficult for me as a not a reporter but as a local is the ages of the people involved in this right and so um a lot of these people if it happened 10 years ago and they're 25 now they were 15 when it happened right uh, there was a a person who was killed who was fifteen. That is heavy. Fifteen years old, and it's not uncommon in Atlanta, which is really tragic. Um, I I had a cousin who was killed by um, fifteen and sixteen year old alleged gang members. They were brothers, right? And it, it there it's like a thing that we have seen a lot in Atlanta. Uh, Mayor Andrew Dickens, Andre Dickens, um, dubbed this year the year of the youth in an attempt to really address some of the crime that is occurring uh, with the youth in the area because it is, it's, I I don't know, it's heart-wrenching to see these young people, less than 100 pounds in a lot of scenarios, 15, 16 years old, not only committing these types of crimes, but then going away for very, very long periods of time, right? And I I empathize on, on both sides for the victims, but also for um, people who are making decisions at such a young age and then really their whole lives taken away from them, you know, um, for, for choices that they made at such a young age. I just think it's horrible.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. And, and so many layers. And, you know, Jewel, just thank you again for breaking all of this down. And it, like this, it's a lot. It's, it's it's it is. It's, there is no simple or straightforward way to look at all of this. So I really appreciate appreciate your clarity and you know the work that you've done. You just started a subsection of your weekly newsletter called "Take It to Trial." Tell us where folks can subscribe, where they can find your reporting on this trial and just your other work in general.
1: Absolutely. So my sub stack is Jewel Wicker, J-E-W-E-L-W-I-C-K-E-R dot dot com. Uh, and if you click on the take it to trial tab, I will be uh, recapping at least weekly a little more if there's breaking news. Um, kind of what's going on for people who do not have the energy or the time to watch a live feed eight hours a day. Um, So you can tune into that, subscribe to that newsletter. And on Fridays, I'll kind of give a weekly recap of uh, what went on in court again, a little more for breaking news, but then also follow me on, on social media. My Twitter is at Jewel Wicker show. And so is my um, Instagram. So my full name with S-H-O-W at the end. Um, And on the days where there are more high profile and more um, pertinent, Witnesses, I'll be in court live tweeting and really kind of keeping everybody updated on, on what's going on. So I would say those are the two best ways to to keep up with me and my reporting on the trial.
0: Make sure y'all follow Jewel, y'all. Thank you so much once again. But before I let you go, I have to pivot real quick because we okay. we must end on a lighter, a little bit more joyous Please. note. <laughs> Because I think we all need it, right? So It's a little
1: heavy around here. Girl,
0: too heavy. Too heavy. So, of course, we got to close out. But this little section is called Tell Me Something I Don't Know. And it's because Mm -hmm. the internet is full of things that I didn't know. So, each week, I like to share what I learned on the internet. And my guest tells me what they've learned. And I'll go ahead and kick it off. So... I learned that Stevie Wonder's version of Happy Birthday is actually part of the reason why we recognize MLK Day. And I mm-hmm. I didn't know that before, but the song was a part of his campaign to help Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday be federally recognized. And I, I think that that is just... So amazing because we all know that as like the good happy birthday song, the like the one, the only one that we that we really recognize. Like after we sing the regular one, we go straight into straight into it. Happy birthday. okay, every time. So I just think it's just really amazing that that thing, that tradition that we've adopted just has that that piece of black history tied to it. That's my fun fact this week. Jewel, what's yours?
1: So I uh, spent a few days binging a show called I'll Fly Away that aired uh, from 91 to 93 on uh, NBC. And it's actually really good. I, I I host this podcast for WABE, which is one of the local NPR affiliates here called The Boom. And we talk about Atlanta's film and TV scene here. And it's really kind of, 2008-2009 2008-2009 forward right Atlanta got this tax incentive and now a lot of things like right, Marvel and Tyler Perry all of these people like film here We've, we have a lot of TV shows and, and movies Stranger Things all these things uh, but we really wanted to go back and say well what did the Atlanta's film and see, TV scene look like before like there were things that filmed here um, and so we went back to the 90s when In the Heat of the Night uh, which is a show I used to watch with my grandma girl was okay filming. okay <laughs> um, but there was this other more obscure a tv show called i'll fly away it starred regina taylor it was so good it's a it's like a crime i mean i'm sorry like a legal drama almost uh it's about this uh, white guy and his three kids and he hires regina taylor's character lily harper uh to be the maid slash nanny and she comes in and is working for this family at a time where she is really grappling with race relations and eventually the civil rights movement and really wanting to to find her voice in this. I think we watch a lot of um, movies and TV shows nowadays and we think about like the kind of Green Book effect, the help effect, where it's like really kind of, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, okay, did you make this just to make white people feel good about race relations? But I think this was such a poignant look at race and they really centered Regina Taylor's character. And she had such a quiet dignified strength to her that was just so refreshing. And it's such it really holds up. I watched it. I I was born in 92. Right. So I wasn't even born when the show started. I was barely born when it ended. But I watched it recently and it is so good. And just I really recommend it. And a lot of the um, a lot of the people who were involved with the show went on to do just really incredible things regina taylor won an emmy the creator and showrunner of the sopranos was the lead writer on this show i mean it really um really an entry point for so many people and i think such a poignant um look at at race uh in america so if you get a chance to check it out i think you would enjoy it i love that so much i'm
0: i'm definitely gonna where'd you watch it
1: well, it ain't on stream. Okay, so you know, heard me. you, okay. heard you,
0: okay, heard you. Well, look, we make it work. We make it <laughs> we work. We hate to say, it. I tried.
1: I looked on all the stream It wasn't on there, so I had to do what I had look, to do. Look, and
0: okay, y'all are dropping the ball. Okay. Netflix, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Max, Max. Come on, make it
1: happen. Come on, it is, it's a really good show, and it's only two seasons, and then they want, I guess, wanted to kind of wrap it up, so they did. They wanted to wrap it up, so they did um, kind of like a movie kind of ending to finish out kind of the stories. But it's a really good show. They do need
0: to put it on streaming. I'm telling you, it's good. They slacking, slacking on they Mac mm-hmm. Before we mm-hmm. get out of here, you I mean, you told us what you're watching right now, but is there anything else, any other piece of content that is getting you through the week?
1: Oh, I just started a... Um, I'm doing a binge of the boys right now.
0: Oh. Amazon
1: Prime. Okay. So my boyfriend, I don't know if you've seen it. It's actually really good. And I remember my boyfriend started binging it like a year ago and he watched the whole thing. And I kind of like watched it. And you know how like somebody's in a room, you watch it in the background. But, and by the time he got like halfway through I was like dang I really should watch I really should tune into this so I like made an effort um, recently to go back and really intently watch it little, some of it I'm familiar with because I watched it with him but it's a really good show it's so cleverly written it's funny it's cringy it's uncomfortable it's witty it's a good show
0: I appreciate you so much Jewel thank you again thank you. for blessing our show you're amazing y'all follow her follow her work find her read her get into the girl okay thank
1: you i appreciate you saying that and thank you for having me on i hope it was helpful
0: of course so helpful girl that's to show y'all another huge shout out to jewel for joining me this week and helping us make sense of the YSL trial And thank you all for listening It's It's been a hell of a ride And y'all are right here with me Just chugging along I, I appreciate y'all I want to know what y'all want to hear on the show And if there's a topic or story That you want me to explore Hit me up at underscore tearing it up This show is produced by ACAST And recorded right here In BK All Day Brooklyn Until next time Bye y'all